Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny V, podcast host and children's author. I also do some work in publishing in acquisitions and publicity. As we hurdle towards one million plays, we'll continue to provide you with the conversational, vulnerable, honest and fun chats with your favourite authors across all genres. Check out our takeover episodes, usually released on a Friday, and our spin-offs released during the month. Thank you for being here, being part of the journey, and supporting Aussie creatives. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. I'm super excited to welcome Amal Arwood. She is a journalist, screenwriter, author, and performer. Amal is the author of many books, and her new book, which we're going to talk about today, Bitter and Sweet. Welcome back. We are going to talk about Bitter and Sweet today. Can you start with an elevator pitch? Bitter and Sweet is a story about finding yourself. it's not a true romance, though there are romantic parts in it. I have to tell you that <laughs> up front. It's really about a person coming to the truth of who they are later in life. Uh, you know, my characters are closer to 40. And it's a love letter to a migrant Sydney that I grew up in. So it's also apparently food fiction. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> I was about to say there's a lot going on. I love food fiction. I think that's fantastic. And we'll talk about that shortly. But I just wanted to go back to what you were saying, that the idea of growing up is an ongoing process. And I love that because we often look at coming of age books and they're, you know, YA books, but I think we're always coming of age. And I think even it's true when you are in your thirties, approaching your forties, you do so much more growth because I think you're a bit more willing to reflect on yourself than you were in your twenties. Yeah. I think my last book, the things we see in the light was very coming of age in, in your later years. And I feel like this one is not so much about a woman not knowing who she is, but ignoring who she is. So I, I feel like She hasn't experienced the success in life that she wants and she's really kind of the person who's in her own way. But there's there are reasons for it and, you know, I'm going to make you read the book to figure that out. (laughs) But it's it's an interesting idea. I agree. I think that we're always examining and re-examining and as long as we carry the past with us, which is what we do, we're always going to have moments where we have to see, well, how far have I come or have I come far enough? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's really interesting about getting in your own way because it sounds, you know, counterproductive, but we do that all the time. Yeah, there's a lot to be afraid of. There's a lot to want. There's a lot to not want. And I think that as much as we think we're a very enlightened society, we get really caught up in the appearance of a good life. And so we can actually have a lot of things in place that make us think that we're doing very well, and yet we're still not happy. And I I think, you know, there is a lot of questions about, well, what's really happiness and can you ever really be happy? And I think you absolutely can have very happy moments, but what is true happiness? And I suppose that the book is really perhaps asking that question, but suggesting that that's the wrong thing to ask, Mm. (laughs) that really you should be asking what, what is going to sustain me and make me feel whole and like myself and authentically like myself, because We play a part for so many people in our lives, whether it's a partner, a parent, children, best friends, people we don't even know whose opinions we seem to value. There are so many things to do and worry about. And so I, I think that when you have a creative outlet like my character Zena does, she's she's a chef, it's, it's not just an escape, it's expression. And I think this is really important for us 
I, I think one of the reasons why we get really stuck in life is because we don't know how to express ourselves in a way mm. that makes us feel good and feel happy. Yeah. And that's always intrigued me, the whole, I just want to be happy because what does that mean? We don't you know, trust it when it happens. Yeah, don't yeah, trust, don't trust it. When it. That's right. Anyone but then who's been dealt a blow in life knows that you yeah. can't really subsist on those fumes of happiness. It's not gonna. It's not gonna work. Well, that's not sustainable either. And I like what you said. What's gonna sustain me? You know, and fe- feed and nurture me because that's more realistic. Because if you just, you can't possibly be happy all the time. I think it's not even a, a realistic ask. Are we even happy within ourselves? This mm. is, so we can absolutely the big question. <laughs> the outside world to give us happiness. As long as everything is the way I want it to be, I'm happy. Well, how can we be strong enough within ourselves? How can we nurture a rich internal world so that we don't need the outside world to be exactly as we want it to be to mm. guarantee our happiness or our, yeah. our peace? Yeah, no, that's a very interesting question. I love those questions. I love that this book brought up those questions you know as well as it had the food fiction which i loved and i want to talk about (laughs) and you know the family and the secrets and uh, the nostalgia and all of those things but i really liked the idea of of questioning and what you said about maybe we're we're seeking the wrong answer or we're asking the wrong question because that always intrigues me a lot and can i just say like with the elevator pitch i'm terrible at them i should be better at them but probably what i should have said up front was that the reason why it's so significant to meet Zena at this point is that so much of her life is falling apart around yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. So we can I mean, see that with the no people point. around her. Yeah. yeah. She has a sick father. She has a best friend who's in mourning and she has a husband who won't talk to her. <laughs> They're estranged. And so all of these things you know up front and it's really mm. important to understand that so much collapses in our lives at yeah. once. And I don't know, have you, you've seen a million people say it. Why is it that everything goes wrong? <laughs> it's just some sort of like cascade. It is. <laughs> it is. They say threes. Oh, threes too many, but yeah, it does. And that's interesting. And, and I thought that because, you know, our support people are very important to us, you know, particularly the people in your family, the person you've chosen to marry, your you know, partner, um, your, your, you know, your best friend. And then when they're all having their own crisis or things are falling apart, what do you do? And I like how she lent into the restaurant. And because I, I often think that, you know, food is healing and is nostalgic and all of those things. So tell me about the food fiction part of this book. I've always wanted to write a book about well, set in a restaurant. I've, I've always been intrigued by nightlife professions. And I, what I mean by that is, you know, um, the theatre, being in the circus, uh, running a restaurant. I, I just, there's something about that time and chaos that I really lean into as a writer and as a creative and just as a person, I find it really fascinating. And I think it's when people come out to play, you know, and so I, I sort of, I don't know, I've, I've just always had that urge to write a restaurant show or movie or book. And when this started to come together, I started to piece together something more important, more significant, which was that there is this cluster in Sydney of these old Arabic restaurants that I always find fascinating because they haven't changed in like 40 years or something. And I just think, well, I I just wanted to imagine what could one of those restaurant owners be like and what would it be like if his, if his daughter was actually a really high level chef and she's been called back in. And this was all before the bear, by the way, I, I, I actually wrote this all before that happens. You know how all the ideas are out in the ether, but there's something it's, it's really funny. I'm not a cook, but I, I just know how to describe things with food and it becomes this sort of poetry writing Xena 
just imagining her in the kitchen and the movements. And I did a similar thing in my last novel with Sahar when she was making chocolate and tempering. And there's just this poetic movement that sort of moves me as the writer. And it just becomes an outlet of expression. It becomes a way to show the characters' talents, their skills, their desires through food. And the beauty of food as well is that you get to give people access to something at a deeper level. You know, it's one thing to eat a kebab. It's another to realise that there is this rich culinary history with Arabic food and to, to talk about the flavours of Palestine. So we have sumac and cardamom in the coffee and these these words, they take on a new energy and food becomes a character. Food becomes something that, you know, it heals, but it also speaks to her and she speaks to it. She speaks through it. Mm, and I just love, I love that. that. I felt like it's just such a nice outlet, mm. such a nice way. I love that. And being a foodie myself, I loved reading about all of that. You know, I feel like food can be sensual, it can be nurturing, it can be healing and it can be nostalgic. And particularly because it was sort of related to her dad in the restaurant. Tell me about the nostalgia that food can conjure up for us. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's this, there's a couple of components there. There's this old Sydney that I, I really remember and love from my childhood. And I, I mean, obviously I'm speaking, I'm probably showing my age here, but I'm speaking to, the, to a different time in Sydney when I, I think it was a different migrant experience to what it is now, not just because we're more advanced in technology and life and all these things, but because I think we still hadn't quite figured out what it meant to be a migrant. I, I think people still didn't know how to think of us. I don't think they were as threatened by us. And I think now that we are within society in a deeper way, we've got good jobs, we're all these things. I mean, I think that that's a very different thing. Um, and food obviously breaks down a lot of barriers. You know, it's the, the multicultural food court of Australia, you know, that sort of thing. Um so I, I wanted to speak to that, but also because my mom is such a good cook and I obviously associate very heavily uh, the flavours and scents of those kitchens like that I grew up in. And I just thought, what better way to sort of untangle a very sort of complex relationship to the homeland than through cuisine? Yeah, I, I found it odd in a way sometimes meeting people who they're so culturally, let's say Arab, for example, and yet they might not have never, they might not have ever been to the Middle East, to the mm. Arab world. And so what really makes us Arab? What really makes us who we are? Does food make us who we are? And I guess there was a part of me that wanted to ask that question through Zena. And she asked that question. She doesn't, she's never been to Palestine. And so for her, having access to this treasure trove of um, cuisine, I guess, you know, it's this strange thing where she's very accomplished in something that makes her feel more Arab. I, I think that, I hope that makes sense. I think mm. I'm being messy here, but I'm trying to. No, it's fascinating. Say, there's a whole lot of stuff going on here that we grow up with, you know, the, you know, the, the old joke of like, oh, my mum would pack tabbouleh in the thermos instead of like giving me a Vegemite sandwich. But she did both. Like, you know, some days I was like, no, mum, I want the leftover tabbouleh. But yeah, there are days when I wanted the Vegemite sandwich and it was fine. It really wasn't a huge conflict for me. There was, it wasn't that complex. Um, so I, I think that there's something fascinating about the hold that food has on us and the importance we give it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we do because, I don't know, I think it brings you back to to different times and different cultures. For me, it's very nostalgic to do with my Omer and Opie, you know, my grandparents. So, and things remind you 
of that time, you know, the different times. It's a very nostalgic for me. But I loved at the back too of your book, you've got the December menu and you've actually listed out all these foods. So take me through the entree. I might how do we say this? Is it Mac Mac how do I say I'm not gonna try and say it. it's the baby eggplant. Let me find it in the book. Hold on. <laughs> Three hundred and forty one. Okay, it's, I've got the new word. It sounds delicious and it's oh, making makdus. me hungry. Yeah, makdus is the makdus. Baby, baby eggplant stuffed with red peppers and cured in olive oil. Uh, halloumi chips. Why have I not had halloumi chips before? I've had halloumi. I mean, you can have those in a lot of places, but, yeah, I, I've, I've um, taken oh. halloumi chips for myself here and I've included a sumac dipping sauce. It's, it's very easy for me to write this, by the way. <laughs> I don't know how hard it is to make it. <laughs> <laughs> we've got seasoned rice and lamb casserole yeah with the yogurt which sounds amazing so, is like a very famous palestinian dish it's called upside down okay and it's a bit theatrical so one of the things is that you you know you stuff this pot with with rice and lamb and cauliflower potato onions whatever you want lots of spices and then you you cook it on the stove and then when it's time to actually serve it you flip the pot over and it should emerge like like you should lift be able to lift the pot and it's a perfect pot-shaped dome. Wow. I'm going yeah, to Google this. Oh yeah. I mean I think even Anthony Bourdain did something when he definitely was Googling this because that sounds um, I love I love theatre at the dinner table, you know, when there's a fire or there's a something going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually really simple, but it's and then you just add salad and yogurt and it's a delicious dish. And then the vegetarian option would be mjadara. And that one is a, a very, very famous, popular lentil dish. It's got rice, um, onions and allspice, and it's served with salad, sometimes with yogurt, and everyone has a different version. So the Egyptians include macaroni. Um, I think the Lebanese don't include that. And my my mum, she made it without macaroni as well, though I think it could be a very nice addition. <laughs> <laughs> um, and dessert is katayev, which are fried pancakes stuffed with clotted cream and strawberries drizzled in sugar syrup and this is obviously her slight rejig of mm -hmm. traditional recipes so um she's playing with the flavors rather than necessarily strictly adhering to a recipe yeah i love that and then in the beginning we flip back to the beginning you've got a glossary of arabic words yeah essential in all of my books i have that all the time because i i don't want to put words in there that like I don't want to disrupt the flow of the, yeah. the text with explanations. Uh, I honestly think most of the time you can pick up what the meaning mm. is. Yeah, yeah. But it's good to have it there to re to reference if you need but to. Absolutely. There's, like, there's one word in there. <laughs> I needed to consult the Instagram community, my, <laughs> my Arab friends and followers. Um, I think it was, yeah, the word ammo, which is like literally means uncle, but People also use it as a term of affection to like a younger oh, person. Oh, that's interesting. So they'll say dear or to a girl. So you could say ammo to a, to a girl. Like okay. a man could say that to a woman. And so I'm like trying to figure out <laughs> the right term to apply to this. And like people are like following who are following my stories or, you know, sliding into my DMs to tell me. Is that a right? different version yeah. or a different story. <laughs> all basically decided to come to the conclusion that it's the equivalent of deer okay. <laughs> something like that it's very funny but literally it means uncle hmm. so it's this strange thing with arabic words you know you can't just translate them literally 
yeah make any sense yeah but the english language doesn't make sense half the time as well oh know? yeah sure i mean the arabic <laughs> language is beautiful but it's just this funny thing that mm. can't just doesn't yeah it doesn't translate yeah, easily yeah there's a, there's a there's an interesting element to that for me that it, it carries a cultural weight mm -hmm. not simply the word ammo it's that it means something when a person says that it shows mm -hmm. the hierarchy it shows that this person okay. is that they are a person who is, they are giving respect to someone who should be respecting them in a okay, way. Okay, that's interesting. For affection. Yeah, know? I like that. And you're right. I don't think we have a word that's similar to that in English that I've thought of. Yeah, or yeah. something like that. But this is, mm. yeah, it's probably it's different. That's what we concluded and we're going to keep it, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. And <It> means dear. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, I can't go past the hearts are meant to be broken by Oscar Wilde. If there's an Oscar Wilde, you know, reference in your book, I'm going to have to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I cut it up a bit. It's not the full quote. Obviously. No, no. I just, I just love reading his words I'm mm. just in fragments and I think that that's the thing about Oscar Wilde is he was this kind of disjointed troubled person and he would say these really deep and meaningful things at a time when you know life was really hard and life is still hard but I can only imagine it was a lot harder then yeah and there was just something about that wording hearts are made to be broken it just sort of sensed did he sense the helplessness of humanity sometimes that mm. we're, we're kind of all a lost cause that we're meant to not meant to suffer but but we do to, well but we're meant to experience I actually think that, so I'm going to go a bit deeper here I I don't think we're meant to suffer I think we're meant to accept that there's something excruciatingly beautiful about the contrast of love and heartbreak mm. and I, I think that you really do need to experience both of them in a way yeah. to understand love and I so I don't wish it on anyone it's horrible but who doesn't but they don't they don't go without you know you can't have one without the other we're you know? in a life of contrast that's right so the contrast of that and and because the book is very much about disappointment you know expectations not met uh in oneself and in others and in life and what do you do with that and mm. accepting well the heart is going to be broken that's fine but i can still carry on it doesn't break me yeah that's sort of where I was coming from. But also, mm. of course, there's that love element as well because it's about a marriage that is unravelling. Yeah. And there is something, I don't know if beautiful is the right word, but there is something beautiful about, you know, love and you can't sort of have love without almost an expectation of heartbreak. And I'm not saying the end of a relationship, but the disappointments in a relationship or, you know, the challenge, challenges of a relationship and almost think you can't expect to love anybody, you know, even your parents, you know, when eventually, you know, time does its thing, they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Uh, we, we love the little moments of heartbreak, <laughs> bad songs and... <laughs> accidentally running into that person somewhere and then realizing that you could just like spiral again because you've seen them and I, I think they feel horrible in the moment but I think we're grateful for those moments sometimes and I'm speaking very generally not on behalf of the entire population <laughs> you're not that at me really didn't enjoy your heartbreak but I didn't enjoy my heartbreak moments absolutely not I never did but I'm very grateful I experienced them. Yeah, and I think there's this feeling of how you emerge afterwards because I think once you once you emerge out of a heartbreak, you are different. And I think that's something to be a bit celebrated. You grow. You grow up. 
you grow up through these things. You don't know what you're capable of until you go through these things. And you don't also know what you want sometimes until you yeah. go through these things. And actually sometimes heartbreak is is the product of you realizing that you love someone, but you don't want what they have to offer. Yeah. You together are not a great idea. Yeah. And that's hard, isn't it? Because we often think of, you know, relationships or marriage as ending because something big happens, but sometimes it just is, you, yeah. you want, you want something different or you don't grow together or all of these millions of things that make relationships so complex. That's what this book was about. Like it wasn't mm. about an explosive end. It was about the mm. slow That's right. descent. You know, it was about realizing one of them realized quicker than the other. Mm. This is That's not tough. Sustain. Yeah. And mm. so, you know, I won't go into the the behaviors of each character. No, no spoilers, but I do like the complexity of the relationships because I felt like it was representative of a true long-term relationship. You know, that yeah. things things can just go wrong very slowly. And I actually think I, I heard someone else say this, that I, I think we take for granted how fragile relationships are, particularly marriages, you know, oh, we're married, we're solid, we'll stay together forever because we said we would. But I think there's such a fragility to relationships and marriage that we often don't admit to see, realize. Yeah, and I, I keep going back to my last book, so by both of them, but the thing is, <laughs> In the things we see in the light, you know, one of the, the lines, I think the very opening line is something like, um, you know, the ending of a relationship will always make you question the beginning. Yeah. And I, I think that we sometimes know deep down that something doesn't necessarily have, you know, the future that it should have or that we would want it to have. Mm. And we see little signs and we paper over them and we ignore them. And I, I think that we can escape into relationships as well. So I think that Zena is a very interesting character who has never really felt like she belonged in a normal family because she's been abandoned by her mother. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I think she seeks home in someone mm -hmm. else. She thinks that yeah. Ray, her husband, is home to her. He's, the, he's finally the family mm -hmm. that she didn't have growing up. And... Of course, you can't look at one person as being the solution to a, a sort of a gaping hole or a problem in your life. You have to understand that they only have the capacity to be who they are mm. and nothing more. And so it's really about two people meeting each other as themselves rather than, but we're, we're not conscious of that. Like, no. Like, we ever fall in love with someone thinking, well, I think you're going to paper over that little hole. <laughs> no, it's, it's obviously an answer to a question. You don't know you're asking sometimes. Yeah. And, and you retrospectively, you ask it. And I like how you said when you, there's the end of something, you question the beginning. Cause that's what we all do. I would, I don't you like you. Always yeah, go, totally. Well, well, what did I really know anything mm. then? Did I ever mm. doubt? Did I ever suspect? Mm. And I mean, I think that to an extent, this book carries on that message. Mm. That I idea so too. Of, yeah, like I'm glad it's food. Like I'm being known for food fiction, not divorce fiction, because I think <laughs> like the last three books all have divorce, and I'm just grateful that my husband doesn't read all my books. But like, this weird thing, and I think it's because I I suspect it's because I don't know any better way to challenge sort of that expectation placed on Arab women, especially, but women in general that you know true sign of success is that you've married well, that you have mm. kids. And here's Zena who she's married someone who's younger than her. Uh, he's more Arab than she is. He comes from the Western suburbs. She was raised in the Eastern suburbs. Um, and on top of that, she doesn't want children. And so I think that there's something so refreshing about her. Yeah. Because, you know, 
she's now going to like heading towards divorce, right? Like, will she or won't she? And I don't think she is too concerned with what that looks like. Mm. And I think that that was important for me to see in my character. Uh, I didn't decide that for her. You know, when I write my characters, they tell me who they are. (laughs) I think that she was more heartbroken than concerned about how it looked because Mm -hmm. she's never been in her mind someone who, you know, she wasn't raised to care what everyone thinks in the way other other girls might be. And so she still had a conservative father, but for more for safety reasons, for protective reasons, because he was a bit of a gruff, you know, unemotional person. And so I think that that was interesting for me to sort of say, well, what does true independence look like? And if you take away, you know, the, the expectations placed on women, if they somehow circumvent those things will they still make similar choices will they really truly find who they are yeah and that's a really interesting question in relation to marriage because you're absolutely right and it's hard to believe in 2023 that that still is occasionally the expectation of success i think we're, we're being taught to not be so upfront about our desire yeah i think so too I but think I, we're getting a bit scolded if mm. we, we if we express a desire to be loved or to love. It's almost like, well, you don't value yourself and mm. you need to be okay on your own. And it's like, and I do think, yeah, well, it's a, it's a human need to love and be loved and be desired and desire all those things. I don't think we're letting ourselves down by wanting to be in love. No, absolutely. I, I, I think the problem is the history of marriage. You know, the history of marriage comes from a patriarchal position of ownership. It's really important that I guess what I would encourage with my work because it's not my job to tell people how to think, but what I would love people to think about is what is true independence of thought and Mm. what is true freedom. What does that look like? All of my books, I think, speak to that journey, Mm. that that journey of untanglement sort of like Mm. from the collective thinking and to be able to think for yourself and to find yourself. The best start is getting people (laughs) to think in maybe ways they haven't before or getting them to consider something new. So I think that's the best start everywhere. Um, Now, I loved as well, getting a bit lighter now, road trip playlist. Oh, yeah. There are two there. I know. I know. Um, You actually have the list there, but um, the final book doesn't have that. It has a barcode. Oh, okay. And they take you to Spotify. Oh, that's cool. I started this with my last novel. I actually had a, a, a playlist for Sahar's book, um, The Things We See in the Light, and I I put that on Spotify. On Sorry, let me start again. I put that list on Spotify, and then with this one I just thought, well, I've done that before, I'll do it again, and this time it made a lot of sense because I thought it was a great way to show the state of mind of the characters because we don't actually get to see mm a book like through anyone else's eyes but even though it's written in third person it's all her story um and it wasn't originally I actually was writing it from the perspective of all three and I just didn't I just don't think it flowed it just didn't quite work Mm -hmm. and it was really Zena's story Zena's Zena kept taking over so I thought well she's she's the heroine so let's go with her and I put her playlist together and I thought but what's Ray listening to and (laughs) I love that because he's so bitter and, you know, he's so <laughs> Well, I did and, say, I did say a bit of that in his playlist. Yeah. Oh, he's angry. <laughs> he's very angry listening to all the 90s R&B. But yeah, yeah, a bit of Eminem. <laughs> I think it's just important to sort of show the fullness of their worlds. Mm. And I think a playlist is a lovely way to give you insight without hitting the read on the head with it. Like, yeah, and they can be contradictory too. Like I love that about playlists. You know, you think you know somebody like, oh, what's that doing there? <laughs> 
Yeah, and I could sneak in some lovely Arabic songs. Mm. Um, that I really felt spoke to the, the story and spoke to like the relationship Zena had with her father and her culture. So that was good. Now, I think um, we've touched on this a little bit throughout our conversation, but it is, a, it is a question I ask everyone sort of at the end of the podcast and we'll see if we can dig a little bit deeper here. And I know I've asked you before, but I think it changes. Why do you write? Oh, God. I don't think I can do much else, to be honest, anymore. <laughs> like, um, I really feel like writing chooses you I don't I, I mean ask my agent or my publisher and you'll you'll get a different story about how many times I've said I'm done this is it you know uh and that's because it's it is a really difficult process but I think I've tapped into something kind of special and magical in the process of my storytelling when mm. I get to write I get to visit with other people you know mm. I get to visit with these imaginary characters and uh, I almost feel like they belong in another realm that they truly exist somewhere and I'm just visiting and I get to, <laughs> I I get to take dictation you know it's like <laughs> pay attention and I and I feel like what I love about books is that they exist you know mm. um, what I mean by that is I'm also in film and tv you know I do a bit of uh, writing directing a bit of acting all these sorts of things and there's just no guarantees with anything in life, mm. but especially in film and TV. Yeah, especially anything very, creative. <laughs> it's a very long time, yeah, and even then you don't know. Whereas when, when you write a book, you know, like as long as everything is done on time and the right people are involved, you're going to have this beautiful book at the end and mm -hmm. exist forever. Whatever happens in life, you've, you've written this book. And yeah. there is something so special and I, I do feel like, and I, I'm not saying this to be cheesy or corny or anything like that, but I really do feel like I don't have much of a choice sometimes. Like mm -hmm. I don't know what else I could do because words have always been my thing. You know, yeah. when I was a kid, you know, I, I loved reading. And as I got older and I actually did the arts law degree and I, I knew as I was practicing law that I just wasn't going to stay there. And then I found my, myself eventually in editing and journalism and then writing books. And it's like, I think, you know, deep down from a really young age when something is calling to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know even like if I didn't know how many books I would write, I did know that I'm a storyteller. Mm, I love and that. And I think that it's disarming and I think it's a beautiful way to explore life. So it's not my job to tell, as I said, I don't try to write books that are didactic or tell people how to think or feel. But what I love is that I can write something that someone from a different culture or different experience can read and come back to me and say, you know what, that spoke to me. It really felt like something I went through. And that's what the job of characters are. You know, they're there to sort of soften the 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 harshness of life sometimes by saying hey you're not alone these things happen and here's a way out of the storm you know that's why I love to write I love all of that I love all of that because I do think food and books are very healing art as well and I think you've hit the nail on the head so thank you it's a beautiful book and I love the characters love the food fiction and yeah it is great to be known as food fiction not divorce fiction um <laughs> it's just more seems a bit more warm but <laughs> I think so <laughs> but it was lovely to chat and lovely to to see this beautiful book. I know we've talked about it. So it was lovely to finally get it, hold it in my hands and read it and see all those other beautiful little bits and pieces in there. So thank you so much for the chat. Thanks, Danny.